Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Inside the Times and the Sunday Times. And I'm your host, Sarah Baxter, Deputy Editor of the Sunday Times. Today we have with us Decca Aitkenhead, our chief interviewer. She went to LA to meet Billie Eilish, the teenage singer who still lives at home but has her own unique style and more than 25 million Instagram followers. Early in your article you mentioned that you've never interviewed a child before. What was it like reconciling the image of someone that young in your mind with this celebrity who's reached megastardom? Well, it was really very unusual, I must say, because I haven't ever interviewed a child before and nothing about the scene before Billy arrived suggested that I was going to be interviewing a child. Everything about the grammar of the occasion felt kind of an A-list celebrity territory and so you had this big TV crew making a documentary waiting to film her and you've got about 20 stylists and hair and makeup and photographers and you know, it's a big old circle circus going on in the studio and yet you keep having to remind yourself that the person who's going to step out of the car is literally a child they're 17 and I imagined before she arrived that there would be some huge discrepancy between these two truths that it was impossible to insert a child into this big old celebrity rigmarole in a way that would feel coherent or plausible and the big surprise was as soon as she did arrive how effortlessly normal and natural it felt for her to be in this environment in a way that is an absolute testimony to one extraordinary person she is. Was there anything that you felt you had to do differently because of her age? I was worried about this. One of the reasons why I really like interviewing basically famous people, you know, sort of celebrities or household names, is because it feels fair game to go into an interview up against somebody who does this for a living just like I do. I don't like interviewing people who just find themselves plunged into the headlines through no fault of their own because... I do this week in, week out and have done for decades. And if you've never given an interview before, the chances are you might well say something that you didn't mean to say or that makes you look stupid or implicates somebody else. And that's fine if the interviewee... I don't, of course, I'm very happy when an interviewee does that, as long as I feel that they kind of know what they're doing or they should be able to handle the situation. Members of the public, I don't expect that of them, and therefore I don't particularly want to interview them. And likewise, a child, I felt anxious about how whether or not it was fair to deploy certain tricks to try and open somebody to tease her out when she's 17. She is a child. On the other hand, of course, she's one of the biggest stars on the planet and she has been doing this for a few years already. So I wasn't sure how much of a factor this would be in the conversation once we got going. And the odd thing is, as soon as we did sit down and we started to talk very quickly, I felt as if we were on solid ground and I didn't have to tiptoe around her vulnerabilities. Did you feel in some ways responsible for her, that, that she was in your pastoral care? Yeah, definitely. 
in a way that is uh, that I never would normally do with an interviewee, never. For example, quite early on in the interview, she says, I just, she was basically talking about her garrulousness or her unguardedness. She says, I just say stuff all the time. And, you know, like I might walk in here and say, blah, 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 about a load of stuff that nobody needs to know about because I don't think you're going to. And then she broke off. She mimed me typing up her words. I'm sitting there thinking, but that's literally why I'm here. That is actually my job. God, what will happen if she does indeed go and says a load of stuff that she doesn't really intend? If it's normally one would leap with joy. Of course. You'd think, brilliant. They haven't clocked the terms of engagement fantastic whereas in her case she's 17 so I was worried but actually as it transpired she was quite knowing so for example at one point I asked her a question about cultural appropriation if one were the cultural appropriation police and god knows there are a lot of cultural appropriation police out there on social media they could look at her and say well look she dresses like a rapper or she you know she shouldn't be wearing those trainers because she's a white middle class girl and she's not a rapper blah 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 And I was curious to see what her take would be on this. And it was instantly clear that she was very sophisticated and savvy enough to know that this was a subject in which whatever she said, she would almost certainly and certainly incur nothing but grief and that there was probably nothing to be gained from it. And she basically closed it down in a way that I was really impressed by because she read it right, you know. It's one of those subjects you can't really win. So that was reassuring. So at some moments, she could seem very naive for example, not really realising that the whole point of my job was to write stuff down, unguarded thoughts down. On the other hand, she demonstrated quite a sophisticated insight. I thought she was pretty smart as well, the way she described wearing baggy clothes as a sort of way that nobody could get at her for having a big ass. Quite. But then it was also very interesting. I mean, I was so struck by that because she'd made a Calvin Klein advert about a month or so before we met in which she says, I don't want to wear, I wear baggy clothes because I don't want people to be able to judge and know and comment and opine about my my shape. But what I w- was impressed about was she then in the same breath, she said, yes, all that's true, but I also, I don't like it now that people are saying, oh, you're so great because you're not commodifying your sexuality. She said, because those people do slut shaming. <laughs> and what do you want from us? It was such a lovely line. She said, what do you want from us? Whatever we wear, it's either too much or too little. She told an interesting story, which I didn't have space to run in the article. She told this interesting story about going on the Women's March in Washington just shortly after Donald Trump's inauguration. She said she was wearing a turtleneck top, but it was kind of slightly sheer. And an older feminist woman on the march looked at her in absolute sort of disgust and disapproval and condemnation because this was she she was implying that Billy was somehow letting down the sisterhood I don't imagine for a moment this woman had any idea who Billy was she just saw what would have been then a 15 16 year old girl wearing this slightly sheer top and you're literally talking about the pussy hat march quite the expression on your face is not unlike the one on Billy's face so she said of course I approve and support any young woman who wants to wear as little as she likes. I'm not going to go down the route where I end up being kind of corralled by the slut-shaming camp. I'm not doing that. One of the funny things about Billy is that as soon as she states a position, for example, that she wants to wear baggy clothes because she doesn't want people to know what she looks like and to judge and to criticise and to commentate. But as soon as she says that, she has this kind of lovely, and this is when you really feel that you're in the presence of a 17-year-old, but this kind of compulsion to defy or to thwart or to counter. So now that she said that she won't wear, that she wears baggy clothes because she doesn't want people to want to see what she looks like, in the next breath now she's like, well, I just might. I just might wear some shorts and a crop top. So on the one hand, she has this quite 20-something-ish 
commentary about politics and sexual politics and identity politics, but in the next breath, she's a 17-year-old who just wants to kick back at whatever confine she feels is imposed upon her, even when it's her own words that have imposed the confine. Was there anything else that stood out in your memory after the interview that you wanted to portray about her, or perhaps something that you noted in the interview that you thought, oh, that's a telling moment. My favourite moment was when she was eating her lunch. Between, it was sort of halfway through the shoot. And um, her mum's gone to their favourite vegan cafe and she's got her scrambled tofu and bagels. And the whole day was held up for about half an hour because there was some key hot sauce missing that Billy really wanted the hot sauce. <laughs> so we're sort of dicking around waiting for the hot sauce. And eventually... The hot sauce arrives and Billy can eat. And suddenly she just laughs and she's dropped one of these fantastically expensive diamonds that are on loan for the shoot. She's just absolutely dropped it into her scrambled tofu, just like a kid would. It was such a sort of charming, humanising moment. She's dripping in these insanely expensive gems. And oops, there goes one in my tofu. And she just kind of burped and laughed. And, and it was a very humanising moment. It was lovely. Did your feelings change towards her as the interview progressed? Oh, God, yes. Only because... In the very first moment when we shook hands, she had this kind of black skull and crossbones, sort of Occupy Wall Street anarchist protester type zip hood concealing her entire head. And when we shook hands, she put on this weird, funny little kind of robotic little girl voice. And I thought, oh, no, how is this going to work? But then within a couple of moments, she's taken off the hood and her mum is explaining that she'd had her hair coloured the night before and it had all gone wrong and it came out blue and she didn't want it blue and they'd spent nine hours trying to fix it and she was feeling self-conscious about her hair. And from that point on, she was utterly charming. So, no, having had a moment of absolute blind panic at the beginning, I thought, oh, God, this is really going to be difficult. Within a few minutes, we were back in the land of normality. And so certainly by the end, it changed a lot from the beginning. But actually, throughout, we, we probably spoke for a good two hours... And then there was time in between while she was changing and having make styling done in the shoot. And I kept thinking, I'm sure we're going to run out of steam. She will, she will lose focus. You know, she will start to look at the time. This is exhausting. She's got insane jet lag. She's got an insane schedule. She's not going to be able to sustain her real focus for much longer. And actually the opposite happened. It felt as if the longer we spent together, the more thoughtful and engaged she became, which was really impressive. And her mother, as you mentioned, was there throughout the interview. She's her assistant. It's a whole family enterprise, isn't it? I mean, did you feel like you were among family? It didn't have the quality of a workplace about it. That's what was so odd. On paper, it looks like a kind of big grown-up celebrity ding-dong of an occasion with all of these various crews and lights and cameras. And But as soon as Billy and her mum arrived the dynamic became completely kind of domesticated and like a kind of family dynamic. It was really, really striking. And it was apparent in the way that she engaged with her managers. She has two managers. Neither of them are kind of huge A-list, big-time managers either. So there's a nice sort of sense that their career trajectory is evolving along with hers. And, of course, then there's her mum in the middle of all of it. And I'd read of course, about her mum before we met. And because her mum lives in Hollywood, you know, they live in L.A. and she's an actress, lots of people had leapt to the assumption that she must be one of those ghastly Hollywood stage mum types, very pushy, ambitious, driven, you know, the kind of mum who puts their kids into beauty pageants before they can barely walk. And she could not have been less like that. It felt like hanging out with one of my aunts or one of my neighbours or it was, she's just so 
down to earth and funny and profane and real and just intimate in this in the sense she was very clearly Billy's mum, not Billy's employee or Billy's Machiavelli or anything. She was Billy's mum, and there was never a moment when it didn't feel like you were t- with a mum and daughter. And that was really moving. It was a really affecting thing to see because that dynamic must be very difficult to hold on to the longer they inhabit this bizarre celebrity circus. And the more powerful and the more famous Billy becomes, it must be difficult. I mean, we've seen this over the years time and again with child stars that one of the things that messes everybody up is that the family dynamic gets so distorted about family hierarchy and confusion about who's got the power and so although Billy said that she's sort of in charge and she said I've always been the boss in this rather sort of charming teenage way it was just manifestly obvious that she that their family is functional and that her mum isn't an employee her mum is her mum and I think if you're trying to achieve the impossible and sort of identify the secret to Billy's success I think that would come pretty high up the list of of possible explanations and famously she exudes a lot of control in her brand doesn't she she controls her styling she creates her own videos there's no record executive in there pulling any strings did that huge desire for control of her image come out very clearly. She has a breathtaking confidence in her own aesthetic instincts and tastes. I mean, one that would be really unusual in somebody 15 years older at the height of their powers. For a 17-year-old, I mean, it's unprecedented in my experience. I've never really come across anything like it. What makes it so extraordinary is that it doesn't come with any sense of sort of bratish kind of too young to know better sense of entitlement. It doesn't have that quality about it. It just has a much deeper... It's something very deep inside her. She's not having to drown out self-doubt. She's not having to drown out the possible objections of a potential critical audience. Those things just don't exist in her consciousness. She just simply has an instinct for what she wants. And oddly enough... I think that's not unrelated to why she has such star presence. It's not unrelated to why she navigated the interview with such kind of confidence and grace. There's just an absolutely unshakable level of self-belief in her that's not brittle and it's not defiant. It's just her truth. Do you fear it might ever change? There's clearly tension between the fact that she made it big on the internet, but she also told you she's grown not to expect anything from it because the smallest thing can set off the pitchfork mob. Did you get the sense she's quite a vulnerable person in some ways as well, or not at all? That's a really interesting question, Sarah. I thought about this a lot afterwards, and I'm not quite sure I can make up my mind about it. I was struck... You know, she is reading what people say about her. She may not post anything anymore. She says, I'm just not going to post. doesn't matter what I post. Somebody somewhere will find some sort of spurious premise to take offence. There is a kind of humourlessness and a willful desire to be offended that she said, it doesn't really matter what I do or say. I can't navigate my way around that absolute determination to take issue with what, people, with what I say. So... She certainly isn't posting, but she is still reading. So, for example, she's got these fingernails where we met. I mean, I've never seen fingernails on a human being like it in my life. They were talons, you know, they were several inches long. I mean, I don't really understand how one would operate a phone or drive a car or brush one's teeth with these damn things. And she'd just got them the week before. It's the first time she'd ever had nails. And she says, oh, I saw that somebody online said something like, oh, yeah, like nails, like Billie Eilish would never do that. Immediately she takes herself off to the nail salon and says, give me the biggest mother-effing um, talons I can get. 
she has that kind of quality. So on the one hand, I think people are going to, if people are talking about you all the time on the internet, not reading it would probably be a better idea because any human being is going to be affected by what you read. On the other hand, she does have a kind of mischievous defiance about what she reads. So when you left, you said, along with the only child, that she's the only child you've ever interviewed, you also said she was the coolest person you ever met. She's definitely the coolest person I've ever met. I mean, it's really... It's such a funny thing, isn't it, cool? You know, it's this sort of weird, elusive, mysterious commodity and it's this kind of thing that you know it when you see it, but as soon as you try to articulate it or define it, it kind of slips between your fingers and becomes, by definition, uncool. So it feels slightly ridiculous to be using this as a kind of benchmark of anything. But within about half an hour in her company, that is the thought that was just unbidden running through my head, thinking, you're just cooler than anyone I've ever met. And it does, of course, I mean... Coolness is indivisible from confidence, isn't it? But it's not the same thing as confidence because you and I have both met a lot of very confident, deeply uncool people. This is true. (laughs) I come back to this slightly kind of inadequate truism that you know it when you see it. And I think people all over the world, of every conceivable demographic, when they see Billie Eilish, maybe that's the secret test we just recognise that she has a kind of ineffable coolness that puts her in a tiny, tiny, tiny category and makes you realise how lame or how pedestrian or how contrived or how inadequate most other really good, successful performers are. When you see her, you see the difference. Is that the definition of a star? (sighs) It's not a bad one. Thanks for speaking to us today, Decker. This has been produced by Alexis Sogel and Sam Joyner with additional research by James Stannard. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.